friends, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my holy co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell here. You know, I'm just a truck driver going from town to town, and I do my best to do two things. Be on time and not hit anybody. So I, I suggest you follow the advice of a recent cinematic classic and don't eat hamburgers off of the floor of your truck. That's a good point. And it seems unsanitary. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. That truck driver in the Snyder Cut was breaking all kinds of moral and legal laws. And professional codes. I mean, we have standards here. Damn right we do. I think that was misrepresentation of my fellow truck drivers. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like in this show, where there's a truck driver that hits the main character, I can't fly with that or drive with that. I mean, maybe it's an indictment of the industries that are constantly forcing truckers to have to be on the road past safe times because there's so much merchandise. Like the capitalist system demands the movement of so many goods. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. And me? I'm Jack Oland. I'm a scientist who works in an experimental tech lab. I balance spreadsheets. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the numbers <laughs> I modify is a category that says in quotes, not summoned demons. Oh. And I just, I'm a little confused. I don't ask questions, but like, I'm not sure what to think if the quotes are, are implying that they are summoning demons or... If it's supposed to further emphasize that they are not summoning demons, I'm just not sure. If they were going to cover it up, then they should have just completely diverted your attention from the demon summoning, right? Like, And I mean, that's the thing with these corporate overlord corporations and labs, right? You have the executives who know everything and they leave everybody else on a need-to-know basis and then you're left with all these questions. You hardly even know what you're doing and there's all these demons running around and we don't know who summoned them hey i'm just looking at numbers all right (laughs) you're not the big picture guy no i'm the count how many demons are coming through non-existent portals guy non-existent demons through non-existent portals that's fair there you go Well, guys, clearly we're back here again to talk about our new favorite show, at least the show that we're going to be talking about for a few more months here, and that is Warrior Nun. Yeah, or Nun Squad. Nun Squad, I like that. That's our nickname for it that I'm just stating right now. (laughs) Yeah. Slang demons, colon, none of your business. (laughs) Oh, wow, very nice. The puns are endless. I mean, the potential is there. I don't know. Yes. I, I don't have any. I'd say that I have none. Oh. oh. That was so, weak. That was weak. <laughs> yeah, well, I work with what I got. I have a habit of doing that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Priest, stop. <laughs> uh, I'm so, just here to be entertained. I'm not actually contributing any of myself. That's okay. You can just say, I'm in hell. (laughs) True. (laughs) So guys, I found out recently that this show is actually based on a comic with a, let's say, 
very different visual style than they seem to be going with on the show. I was like, oh, it's probably like one of these modern, like, graphic novel style comics. No, it's like a 90s, like, crazy, hyper-violent, hyper-sexualized comic where the main character wears, like, a nun stripper outfit with, like, a big holy cross belt buckle. Yeah, I saw a picture. She had, like, belts going across her boobs. Yeah, it was wild. That seems like it would be uncomfortable, too. It does. And impractical. I yeah. mean, unless you just don't care about popping out in the middle of combat. Barbarians, uh, they don't have proficiency in armor. Oh. So, so maybe she's a holy barbarian? I mean, from what we've seen Zealot. in the show, the Halo Bearer doesn't need to worry too much about wearing armor, so. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know how much similarity there is between the comics and this, but yeah, I was shocked to find out that it was... I don't know if shocked is the word. I was, like, surprised to find out it was a comic. And then I looked it up, and I was just thinking, wow, they have certainly changed the visual style. Maybe, probably for the better. I'm I'm thinking for the better. better. Yeah, I'm going to go for the better. Probably for the better. Anyway, (laughs) we're on to episode two. The plot's unfolding. We're learning more about the show. Why don't we get into our quick summary of Warrior Nun episode two, from season one, this episode is called Proverbs 3125. Hit the music. Okay, so open your Bibles uh, to Proverbs 3125. This week in Bible study. We'll be talking about swords and satire edition of Bible study. <laughs> the strength you can have with God and the freedom that comes with a righteous life. So here, let's read the quote aloud. This passage reads: "She is clothed in strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come." I'm always laughing at the days to come myself, so I can relate. (laughs) I am definitely not clothed in strength or dignity, though. Uh, Yeah, and I I don't think the characters of this show are either. They're they're kind of striving for that, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I guess I have a little bit of strength, but you know what I mean. Certainly no dignity. (laughs) I am a podcaster, after all. (laughs) But yeah, so this episode is all about Ava trying to become more independent and not just be saved by JC all the time. That's right. Um, Even if she might possibly need it very badly, like in the first episode when she was almost drowning in the pool, she's like, next time, just let me sink. Yeah. And she continues her just flagrant disregard for her new powers and... Just wants mm-hmm. to be a normal person. She she barely even seems to think about the fact that she has powers. She is not questioning what's happening so much as just living it. She's, and I respect that. That's a paladin. Yeah, yeah. She's still riding high on the fact that she's alive and can walk around. So that's fair. Yeah, I, I like. So the opening scene, when we see her for the first time in this episode, she wakes up. She realizes that it wasn't all some you know, like fever dream right before her death. 
and she is so overjoyed she is jumping and bouncing on the bed and i was just like ah oh, right on ava live it up yeah yeah you got a second chance that's great i'm sure nothing bad is going to come from any of these powers that she has and she won't be put in any life-threatening situations <laughs> So we also have Mary getting deeper into her quest to figure out who the Mercs were and who had hired them. The Mercs that they faced off against in the first episode and who had killed Shannon, their former Halo bearer. That's right. Who brought the armor-piercing rounds and the divinium to kill the Halo bearer with? Somebody was well prepared. Yeah. Mary opens up to Father Vincent that she found this bullet. And she says that somebody was prepared for them. So that's how she figures out that it, it was somebody who was hired to go after them specifically. And uh, she's hunting down who bought the bullet and tracks... She's torturing uh, arms dealers in Spain. Yeah. And she tracks the mercenaries to Arctech, which is a local lab that is playing around with some divinium opening portals to other realms that they don't even understand. Hey, look, they found a way to stabilize the Higgs field. They're also living it up. Yeah. And so this is also the episode where we're introduced to a few important new characters like Jillian, who seems to be a head researcher at Arctech, and Father yeah. Duretti, who is a high-ranking cardinal from the church. You know... They're arguing over this whole divinium thing. But like I keep saying, where's my infernium? Miss me with that divinium shit. Yeah. <laughs> Show me the evil metal. I'm, that's all I want. There, It has to exist, right? It, it's got to be coming up. I mean, you're not going to blow that in episode two. You can't say divinium and not have infernium. If you're being goofy, you got to just go for it. I agree. So Ava and her new uh, friends, led by JC, crash the Arctech party where they have some of their investors there uh, to see the new developments and their new portal generator. And, and they're showing off a... Well, actually, I guess they're not showing off a sweet new archaeological find. They have a sweet new archaeological oh. find that Jillian discovered with her assistant or fellow researcher Christian. Yeah. Now, you guys will notice an important little detail added in here. There's a character named Christian who were introduced, and that is uh, a reference to the religion Christianity. Right. We'll see how that plays out. <laughs> is that true? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so they find this divinium shield, which plays an important role towards the end of the episode. Yes. We're not exactly sure what its significance is yet, but it's an important artifact. And that is because we find out that Divinium reacts to Ava's halo. That's right. It glows blue. Much like Sting in the films The Lord of the Rings. And we get to hear a little tidbit from the Nun Squad that somebody, the halo bearer combined with Divinium is almost unstoppable and that's they're, that they're strong enough with those two things together to take on a Tarrasque, which is a corporeal demon. That's the, the claw demon we were talking about last episode. We found out it's called a Tarrasque. The claw. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, they're they're really powerful, but they can only come into this realm in corporeal form for a few moments, but it's usually long enough to do their business. I mean, it's long enough to cut someone in half, for sure. Sure. You only need a few seconds. (laughs) So, uh, Ava and her friends are crashing this party at Arctech. They get into the back rooms. Ava thinks she sees a little boy. She tries to help him out. She's almost caught by the guards because she sets off an alarm. And uh, she hides in a room and the uh, Tarask comes through a portal and tries to get her. And her halo reacts to him. And she picks up a piece of some metal from one of the digs. And it's glowing blue also, but we don't know what that is. I mean, Divinium. Oh yeah, but we don't know. It's not the shield, it's something else. Right, we don't know what this artifact is. And she, it's glowing blue when she touches it, and she strikes the Tarasque with this piece of metal, and it's strong enough in her hands, because she's the halo bearer, to knock him back through the portal. She yeets his ass back to hell. And Jesus. Just as that's Take happening, Father Vincent and the nun squad show up, and they're talking to her, and, and then Father Vincent just fucking yotes her and gets her with the uh, uh he he gets her in the neck with the hypodermic uh syringe uh with some kind of thing to knock her out i don't know sodium pentothal maybe just no, an true. air bubble into that's the bloodstream oh god that would kill her she'll I mean, regenerate um, yeah, yeah that's true power. that's true oh god so yeah that's about it they capture her we also find out in this episode that Lilith is destined to be the next Halo Bearer, and she's a little impatient because she's had six family members in her line also be Halo Bearers. So she seems like she feels like her time has come, and she doesn't want to keep waiting. She's entitled. All right, well, that pretty much covers everything that's important to know from the episode. Why don't we get into the discussion? guys so a lot of stuff happening here in warrior nine episode two we're, we're meeting new characters we're kind of unpacking some of the story and learning more about the lore of the world a lot of stuff going on that's right and you were just mentioning how lilith was going to be what like the seventh member of her family to be a halo bear that's right yeah yes since like the second century CE or something like that? Uh, I think it was since the Crusades. Oh. That their order's been around. Well, that's... Yeah. That's like the 11th century. Yeah. Still, I mean, that's <laughs> a long time. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good average or a bad average for halo bearers in a family. It's got to be a good average, right? You know what I was thinking? I think that's when her... As long as her family has been... Patrons of the church. Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. Hmm. Interesting. The family supports the church and a lot of halo bearers. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This leads into our discussion about the theme of power and control that runs throughout the show so far. Yeah, I don't like either of those things. (laughs) Word. And so, yeah, there's this powerful family that um that has a lot of influence in the church and they use their money 
to garner that influence and to keep their level of power within the institution or organization. And as a result of those feelings of ownership and power, Lilith feels very much like she is owed this halo. She is impatient to meet Ava and take the halo back. And there's a little bit of conversation about, you know, what the moral thing to do is, given that the halo basically brought Ava back to life. And Lilith kind of intones like, whatever, I don't care. Fucking rip it out of her. Let her die. Doesn't matter to me. I got to get my shit. Yeah. Beatrice asks Lilith, you know, is it right to take it away from Ava? Didn't it bring her back to life? What would happen to her? Yeah, definitely. There's that, just that overwhelming sense of entitlement, like you said. It's just, uh, it, it made me think of when people talk about, like, old money versus new money. Great, oh, right? great analogy, yeah. yes. Because Ava's on the up and up. She, you know, she was under the care of the church, but she wasn't, like, part of the church the same way that the warrior nuns are. And here's Lilith with this centuries-old, uh, you know, association. And suddenly Ava, for no reason in particular, other than God, that's the reason they're all there, right? <laughs> Ostensibly. Yeah, I have more to say on that later, but I don't think they're all there for that reason. Mm, interesting. Yes. That's, that's fair, and uh, I'm, I'm interested. I'm titillated. We're going to be talking about faith at some point in this discussion, so. Yeah. We'll uh, whet your appetite for that now. But yeah, Lilith is just ready to drop Ava. She's like, let her die. She did it once. Why not do it again? And that doesn't seem very Christian to me. Is that right, Jack? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus didn't tell people to go around um, killing their foes, right? Jesus uh, <laughs> reportedly brought a guy back from the dead. Oh, there we go. See, a lot like Ava. Hmm. Mm, isn't it weird that Ava and Lazarus rhyme? <laughs> Did you know that if you <laughs> spell Lazarus backwards, it spells Ava? Oh, my God. I, I guess I need to read my Bible. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> but, you know, this privilege is born out of this lineage, like you were saying, Jamie, mm -hmm. it's kind of intertwined together with the theme of power and control, this idea of lineage. Absolutely, yeah. The, she, Lilith feels like she is the rightful heir and therefore is kind of a born leader in her own mind. She thinks that she also deserves it by her own merit because she's done all this work and training to be ready to be the halo bearer. But it's also, uh, she's still assuming in that, throughout her training, that she is the one destined to be the next carrier. Right. And I really like how in this episode, we really get this great contrast between Lilith and Ava. Because meanwhile, while Lilith is all confident and raring to go, Ava just met this new group of friends with JC. And the whole episode, she's basically questioning... She's got these anxieties about whether they like her, whether they are really going to be her friends. She's maybe feels like she's getting some mixed messages or she's just not sure if she's going to fit in. She is like the diametric opposite of Lilith. 
She's not from some wealthy family. She was an orphan. Right. She's, you know, not confident. She probably doesn't feel like she's a good leader. But of course, we know while watching the show, we're setting up, I mean, presumably, we're setting up Ava to be the titular warrior nun, I'm assuming. Right. Like, she is going to be, like, some kind of destined leader to some extent, it seems like. That's my guess based on the setup of the show and media literacy, I guess. Um. <laughs> well, speaking of Ava and the church, we have to talk about Cardinal Doretti also. Yes, let's do that. Because he comes into the scene and he Wearing has... red, the color of um, uh, birds, like cardinals. Satan. Yeah. yeah, red is a real, a major symbol in this show. It's the color of all the demons, too. So it mm. uh, makes you think, you know? Yeah, it really makes you think. What's going on, Cardinal Duretti? <laughs> yeah, maybe he can't be totally trusted. Take off that cloak. He has a bird body. <laughs> Father Vincent mainly wears black, and he's kind of like, ambivalent feeling you can't quite pin down what his true motivations are yeah he's not quite so hot to trot on uh just murdering ava he's a little bit more willing to drug her and bring her somewhere against her will but not yet kill her so yay that's what father I, vincent yeah that's what i wanted to talk about because cardinal Doretti has a meeting with father vincent during the episode and he's they're, you could tell they're kind of allies, right? But Doretti is his superior, and he's basically saying, like, look, you got to deliver on the goods, and I, or I can't keep... Uh, he, he's a New, he has a New York accent. No, he doesn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, you got to show up with the halo on my bosses. They're going to come after you. And you know I work for God, so, like... You don't want my boss coming after you. And uh, <laughs> I, I can't keep stalling for you forever, yeah. you know? Um, I got an answer to the big guy. Aye. So they are desperate to get Ava back to control the Halo, to control this source of power in their war against the demons, yes. But it also keeps their order in power in this hierarchy. And if they don't have these powerful artifacts, they're going to lose some of this power and control that they want to maintain. I mean, what is a warrior nun without a halo, after all? That's like a question as old as time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't all have halos. You can be a warrior nun without a halo. Yeah, but can you really? <laughs> I wonder if they... I don't think they can see the demons... Unless they manifest physically. I don't think that the other warrior nuns can see the, uh, what are they called? The incorporeal demons? Yeah, it's not clear yet, but it did kind of seem in the first episode like those incorporeal demons could kind of manifest without being seen by everybody. But yeah. Ava can see them. But Ava with the halo can. And that is also possibly what was going on with that child that Ava stayed behind to investigate. Because that child looked way possessed. Yeah. He had the smirk of someone with nothing to lose. It's true. You're right. He could have been possessed. I didn't even think about that. They had him locked up. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I thought he was some kind of research or test subject in the Arctic lab. Yeah, that's what I assumed, but Jack could be right, or we could all be right. Yeah, could be all of the above. He's a spiritual child locked up in a physical laboratory <laughs> by scientists looking to do research and also use him in a holy war. Again, a tale as old as time. I think I saw that on my spreadsheet, too. Jack, do you want to talk a little bit about how this conversation of power and control informs how faith is covered in this show? Yeah, for sure. Well, let me start off by saying the warrior nuns, that I don't think they seem very Christian. The more yeah. I see them just going about their lives, in fact, I think they probably believe in God just because they're part of the church and they fight demons. However, if they find themselves being inspired by God or like thinking they should live up to Christian morality, I haven't really seen much of that yet. Because if we look at Lilith, like uh, uh, whether or not you subscribe to the seven deadly sins or not, She's a prideful chick, and it's really getting in the way of her seeing that Ava's probably a chosen one. If you're part of Christianity, faith is, means that you random things that happen, coincidences, happen primarily for a reason. And that's sort of what Vincent mentions, but only like a soft mention when he's like, oh, maybe Ava got it on purpose. Everyone's like, shut up, old man. Right? <laughs> it's like, what? What are you talking about? You're part of a faith-based religion. I have the feeling that there are two explanations, right? Yeah. Either they're just part of the church as a status symbol, like Jamie was sort of saying earlier, or that... Like, they're part of it for the philosophical and metaphysical reasons, but they're just in such, like, a stressful line of work, such a violent line of work, that they just are incapable of staying along that righteous path. But I'm going to quickly bring up St. Martha, a oh, Catholic yeah. saint. Yes. You mentioned her before, that's right. Yes, because the demon in this episode, the Tarasque, appears in St. Martha's legend, right? Okay. It appears as this sort of draconoid monster, right? This is cool. I don't know anything about this legend. Yes. Well, it appears as like a terrible dragon. Also, we're kind of dragon specialists here. <laughs> yeah, It's true. We know something about dragons. And let me tell you, demon dragons, they're the worst. Ooh. Oh, they're just bad. They're bad news, right? Not to generalize too much, but... Not to generalize. But St. Martha, she didn't want to generalize, right? She's like, this guy can be my pal. Wow. Yeah. And that's why when you look up a lot of art of St. Martha, it's her, like, reclining on the terrace or chilling with him. Because in the myth, she befriends the thing. She's like, hey... Chill out, my guy. And the Tarask is like, oh, sorry, I guess my bad. You know? Why why does she befriend him in the myth or legend? She's so compassionate. Yeah. That's oh, like her main oh, strength. Oh, okay. So do you think we're setting this up for some fun 
Ava Tarask friendship later on in the season? Golly, I hope so. Me too. But the thing is, the warrior nuns are the least compassionate people we've seen. In fact, the most compassionate people we've seen, like I said last episode, are the folks that Ava is huddled up with. Everyone in the church seems to be completely self-absorbed, lacking all insight. They're not even seeing the world. They're just seeing a reflection of their own gnarled souls. Right? I'm not going to lie. They're leaning real heavy on the warrior and not so much on the nun from what we've seen so far. Yeah. It's true. And I'm going to say again... Ava is still the best Christian of all of them. Because especially when she sees that little boy and goes back to help him. Oh, right? interesting. Yeah, she's helping the, somebody who she thinks is needy and weaker than herself or unable to help themselves in some way. It's true. And she doesn't know that kid is a demon. It's not like he's glowing with divinium. She didn't see the red wispy mist monster fly inside of him or anything. She's just like, why is that kid locked up? <laughs> I gotta set him free. Yeah. She's like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, because she could have escaped herself. That's right. She's on she, the way out. She went back to try to help him. Yeah, exactly. Also, again, she's just living life and just doing the good that comes to her, right? Yeah. When she sees an opportunity to do good in front of her, she takes it. And I think that's great. The warrior nuns are very self-absorbed. I think that's what it is. And I admire Ava's... Ava is such an interesting character, I think, so far. Yeah. Because she has great insight, but a lot of, like, self-doubt and anxiety. There's a scene early on when she screams because the shower is cold, right? JC comes to talk to her. And... She immediately realizes when they start having a conversation, she's like, oh, he's flirting with me right now. Yeah. I was just thinking to myself, there aren't a lot of people who, when someone starts flirting with them, that they just are aware that's what's happening. A lot of people, I feel, second guess that. But she's like, I see what's happening. Well, she kind of does in that moment. Well, she doubts herself, right? Yeah. She's like, oh, he's doing it. But yeah. She does doubt herself for a moment, but then when he starts smiling at her and saying different things, like, you can use my pre-setting on the shower and, you know, it'll help you out and everything, then she's like, nah, he's flirting with me. She goes back to it. This is all carried out through that uh, narration that we love. The the inner monologue. The inner monologue, yeah. yeah. It's so good. Yeah. But another thing is, like, also the insight where she's telling him, like, you can't keep saving me, right? I can I can stick up for myself. I thought that was pretty cool as well. Yeah, I mean, I liked yeah. his response, too. He was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was doing it, I'll stop. Like, oh, okay, and then they're like, okay, cool, we're, not, we're cool again. <laughs> like, it was yeah, good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, he doesn't want to cramp her style. Yeah. He's like, it's I true. just saw an opportunity to help someone yesterday when I got you out of the pool and it made me feel really good to help someone. And he was just honest about it. I, I Don't worry. Next time you're drowning, you just, uh, I'll let you. I thought it, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was refreshing because it's like, we don't need to have a lot of conflict around every little thing that happens between characters. It's, it feels very artificial 
And I'm happy they're not doing that. It's true. That good communication, dude. They're the yeah. good Christians. <laughs> the people who aren't part of the church. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I think I hope that maintains. I like that you're following that thread from the last time we covered the this show. It's true. Well, look at it, right? They accept her into their community right off the bat. And then they're openly communicating with her. They're feeding her. They're showing her how to do everything. They're inviting her to their parties. They're sneaking around in the back labs with her and stuff. And she, she's <laughs> like good Christians would sneaking around labs. She's all in too. They're not hurting anybody. And you as know? I mentioned last week or two weeks ago when we talked about the first episode, JC's name could be a reference to the biblical character Jesus Christ. Oh right. You know, right. you're so right. I heard that name. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the warrior nuns cut from Ava and her crew being like very good. Yeah. <laughs> to the warrior nuns, like Mary just kicking the shit out of an arms dealer in an alleyway and being like, you know, if I sliced all the way down your carotid artery, there's no saving you, right? Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing to this guy? I don't think him. Jesus would do that. It's kind of like their version of faith is corrupted. And Ava and her friends have this kind of natural or pure kind of faith in each other. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And, and in the power of being a squatter. Yeah, what the yes. universe will provide to them, you know, they kind of they have a trust yeah. that it is lacking in the nun squad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just if I'm looking at the warrior nuns so far, they've displayed no signs of faith to me. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say they seem like faithless people. Wow. Wow. Heavy indictment of the warrior nuns. Yeah. And then uh, they aren't even hopeful for the future. No, they're all they see is this like impending war and the threat of, you know, what's going to happen if the demons get a hold of the halo. And I mean, maybe that makes sense, right? Like they are basically like former child soldiers, right? It seems like they're trained from a very young age. Yes. They're brought up in this warrior cast. They are used to just being told that they are the bulwark against the end of the world. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We don't, we haven't gotten deep enough into the lore yet, but that type of responsibility and constant vigilance will have negative effects on somebody's psyche. You know, it's, yeah. they're like constantly feeling like they're all that there is. And they did literally just have one of their friends murdered by mercenaries and demons. So it's understandable it's that they're a little raw. Our conversation is giving me some insight that kind of piggybacking on what you're saying, Jack and Jamie, that mm -hmm. the nuns and the their superiors in this organization, this this order of the church, their faith seems to be used to reinforce their conviction in their holy mission against the demons mm -hmm. and to reinforce the hierarchy of their organization. Their, yeah. their faith in their mission is used to garner trust among the nun troops 
and to kind of control them and keep them subservient to the men that are controlling them. That's what they put their faith in. You don't really hear them talking about scripture. You're right. Or like their faith in God or anything. Mm-hmm. Seems like they pray sometimes maybe, or, or they have some kind of like spiritual duties. But... It's definitely on the periphery. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And another thing about sort of like the Christian faith, right? Yeah. That I think they aren't manifesting very well is you do your best, right? Mm-hmm. You deal with what's right in front of you. You do your best, but to a degree, it's out of your hands, right? And that goes partially into the faith part, right? You have to believe that it's going to work out the way your God wants it to. And they don't do that at all. They're like, it's all up to me. Right. right? If you believe in like the Bible, it's out of your hands whether the world is ending or not. (laughs) It's not up to you. Also, like the fact that they're torturing people to find out information is like... I think that's really a sign of their faithlessness because they don't think that the answer is going to come that they're going to be able to save people and do the right thing unless they do something bad. Oh, they don't have faith that their God is going to help them. I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So there's they're essentially acting under the assumption that if this is going to work, I have to do something that my faith would not approve of as though their faith is approving of it because they are their higher ups are approving of them torturing these people. Yeah. And that is the word that they trust in. That's the word that they will follow over the word of God. Mm -hmm. I see what you're talking about. Definitely. You know, Ava just goes ahead and, does the good that's in front of her. She's just living her life. She's living free and she's not hurting anybody. And if she does, she's apologizing for it. (laughs) You know? That's true. And she banished a demon on accident. Yeah, yeah. She's she's doing good just as a natural part of her being. Almost like it's destined to be happening. It's true. So I think Ava's going to definitely teach them a lesson in faith by being more morally accurate to their religion than they are, by also just being some random person. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how she's going to react, presumably in the next episode that we get to see, uh, to being captured by these people. If she is not understanding to begin with, I think it'll be fair. Yeah. Given the circumstances. I know. And um, she might have a hard time trusting them. Yeah. I mean, understandably. Yeah. I mean, they are people willing to murder her. Yes. At least some of them are. Yeah. If Ava doesn't answer how they like, they're just going to kill her. I know. This is, she's in a dangerous spot now. Yeah. Listen, we're just going to take out the thing that's keeping you alive and give it to this uh, rich chick. And, you know, that's just the way it is. The thing is, is they can't Uh, force her to do it because she's stronger than all of them (laughs) combined. It's true. A a truck couldn't kill her. (laughs) It's true. Barreling down the road. 
Yeah. If they try to hurt her, she might just dematerialize out of wherever they're holding her. Like, how are they even going to keep her holed up somewhere? Yeah, I mean, we don't know the extent of her powers and, and how all that works. It's true. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Now, before we move on, guys, I want to talk. We've been talking about faith a lot, and we've touched on a lot of themes revolving around it. But there's another important scene that happens between Father Doretti and yeah. Christian. Right. Father Doretti, the cardinal, and Christian, who works for Arctech, they're having this conversation in the middle of the party where Doretti's kind of giving Christian the um, 10th degree, I guess. Is it the 10th degree? Which degree is it? Fifth degree? One of the degrees. I don't know. It's more like the second degree. Yeah, it's one of those degrees. It's lukewarm. It is. It's very lukewarm. (laughs) 98.6 degrees. There you go. It's something like that. Body temperature. He's giving him a hard time because he says that Arctech has stolen church property and also points out, hey, you used to be a Christian, Christian. So (laughs) what's the deal? You used to have faith. And Christian's like, yeah, I did. But, you know, my faith was tested and it didn't work out. And now I'm a man of science and we create this, you know, the show is creating this juxtaposition between science and religion. This is a theme that we've seen repeated in many shows and movies over time. (laughs) But he also says he puts his faith in how much you can sell your ideas for. Sure. Yeah. yeah, so a little bit of capitalism thrown yeah. in there, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they have this philosophical divide. A schism, if you will. A schism, if you will. Thank you. <laughs> Such a funny word. <laughs> schism sounds like something you should keep to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also partly based on Arctech refusing to acknowledge the church's power. Because Cardinal Doretti says, you know, Divinium belongs to us. And Christian's like, well, he brings in his modern fancy lingo. He's like, you can't have proprietary rights to a mineral, to an element on the periodic table. And this is an artifact they found in a dig that they funded. And... They've somehow claimed the rights to this historical artifact. I'm not sure how that works entirely. Although... I mean, in this situation, in this in in this country, you know. Sure. I don't remember what country the dig was going on in. It did say, I think, at the, at the, in the episode. But this does kind of go back to the ownership of artifacts that we have in our own real world, such as Native American remains that have been in you know, museum collections and tribes understandably want them back because they feel like they should be the ones to have decisions about where their ancestors' remains go. There is a precedent for claiming archaeological finds that somebody else dug up. It's true. Archaeological finds. In this case, I'm literally talking about human remains versus artifacts and that I am not in any way trying to equate the two things but my point is just that archaeological discoveries have been brought into question who they belong to in the past right and the show is at least minorly touching on this idea now the framing in the episode seems to kind of be on the side of well finders keepers law yeah that's not always the way it works christian is accusing cardinal Doretti. And the church of hoarding resources 
And, and Dr. Jillian Salvius, that's her full name, also, she gives a speech during the party and she's kind of talking along similar lines and saying that she it's almost like she's democratizing this resource for the people to better uh, human understanding about our reality. Right. So, you know, the doctor, Dr. Jillian, uh, creates this portal to, I'm guessing, hell, and then sticks her hand through it. So I'm just going to ask you guys, was I the only one waiting for her to be like, and as you can see, I've put my hand into this portal and then pulls it back, and there's just like a demon chopping on her arm? I yep. expected her to start screaming and pulling back a stump, but yeah. yeah I mean, something like that. <laughs> so I was a little disappointed that that wasn't how it went down, but. Yeah, it's true. It's definitely highly experimental and not going well. Again, there's a possessed child locked up on the premises. Let's not ignore it. Sure. We've got a lot of questions. But I was interested how the show kind of touched on this idea of repatriation or ownership of discoveries from archaeological sites. But both parties are not the original owners or claimants of these artifacts. Well, the church might have actually been the ones who created the shield. I, I'm not sure. It could I'm have been lost. not sure, but they consider it a resource that belongs to them. But that's simply because it's made of divinium. So you're right. It, maybe it was never really theirs to begin with. But. Right. Or something that should be hoarded. I mean, this is a Christian fantasy show, so... Perhaps um, the Christian God uh, within the conceit of this show would have meant for this material to be used to the benefit of all humans. Maybe. But all we know so far is that it can kill halo bearers and glow. So It also hurts demons, though. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. And it can be used to open portals to hell. So isn't it right, Jack, that demons and... Angels are both different types of uh, divine beings. They both have divinity within them. So probably, if I'm being honest, I have no idea much about demons. I don't really care about them too much in a realistic sense. That's a real gap in your knowledge. <laughs> it's true. For a guy who spends a lot of time talking about dragons. It's true. Well, within the lens of Christianity, I see angels and demons as very irrelevant. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Book's, that book's pretty boring anyways. The point of being a Christian, you shouldn't care about it other than to be like curious about it. Because it really, if you're looking from what you're supposed to do as a Christian and how you're supposed to be, those two things shouldn't matter to you. Demons and angels, it should just be like, oh, that's neat, right? You shouldn't have to think about it. However, if you're looking at it, I'm not sure if people classify like fallen angels as demons or if demons are just like evil spirits. And what does that mean even yeah. within like a Christian setting? Uh, you know, I don't know either. But um, I just kind of always thought that they were celestial beings. They're different types of celestial beings, but with a different origin and motivations. Definitely. And so in that case, I thought that maybe that's what they're going for in this show. And that's why both types of beings, the halo bearer, which has 
a celestial artifact within her, and um, the demons are hurt by this divinium source. Yeah. But the Halo Bearer can also wield divinium as a weapon. So it's really interesting. Yeah, they get their cool glowy lightsaber swords. Mm-hmm. It is really cool and glowy and lightsabery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we learned in this episode that that glowing sword is probably made of divinium, and that's why it was glowing. I mean, it's gotta be, right? It's the sword of life. I wanna wield the sword of death. And it was glowing when it was near Shannon when she was still alive. Aren't so. most swords the swords of death? Isn't that <laughs> oh, why yeah, they it's make just swords? a sword. <laughs> I want my infernium sword. Oh, it would be sick if she had an, a divinium sword and an infernium gun. Oh, dual wielding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh She'll God. be a real swashbuckler. Let's quickly talk about how the uh, the concept of a, of a Christian weapon. Sure. It's funny to me. I mean, uh, go back in time a few hundred years and that was a not uncommon concept <laughs> i know there's stuff like the spear of destiny as well yeah which yeah. is the supposedly the spear that pierced jesus and like you'll always be destined to win a war and rise to power if you have it stuff like that but it's it's just funny because jesus was like don't use swords and here they are and they're like this is the holy sword <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah but there's a demon over there like what are we gonna do okay but here's the thing right Ava just bopped it with some random Divinian, like, fork. Yeah. And it died. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, there is a Divinium shield. Yeah. Shields aren't supposed to be offensive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you guys know that I'm a big fan of the shield bash, though. It's true. You could just shield bash that sucker. I don't know. As a symbol, I think the shield is much more approachable than the sword. I'm I think just I've got a strong feeling now that you're saying that, that that's going to be Ava's weapon of choice is the shield. We'll see. That's an interesting. Or artifact. Infernium gun. I should say artifact <laughs> of choice, really. Definitely. We'll see. We're, we've got a, a lot more episodes to cover in the near future. So I'm, I'm excited. I think this is a great time to head into the wrap-up. All right, guys, so a lot of stuff going on in this episode. I'm really looking forward to the next one. But, you know, I really want to ask, Jack, last week you talked a little bit about how whenever you go into a show like this that builds on christian ideas and worldviews and concepts you're always a little you know understandably hesitant or suspicious about where it might go how, how they are, might handle how it, it might portray the religion yeah how are you feeling after another episode oh well if it's not clear that i'm still in camp squatters over camp church let me say it <laughs> Then you haven't been listening. If you haven't been listening, the squatters live free. They live happy, harmless lives full of community and purpose. And partying. And they're helpful to other people. And partying is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Jesus made water into Everclear. And <laughs> Man, I, I read a different translation of the Bible, I think. 
No, it was specifically 151 proof Bacardi rum. (laughs) (laughs) The the apostles got fucked up. (laughs) And it's Ava's new friend's drink of choice. But yeah, I think one of the purposes of this show is going to be showing the nuns like, hey, maybe you don't have everything figured out. You know-it-all nuns. And then Ava's gonna be like this, oh, I'm the underdog, and it turns out I'm the morally good one. But not in, like, a pompous way. Just in, like, a hey, look at that kind of way. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I still really like Ava as a main character. I'm, I'm team Ava so far, for sure. Jack, you hit the nail on the head with my presuppositions about uh, the show, too. Yeah, yeah. Hard agree with you. But uh, I feel fine about how this represents Christians because I think of the nuns, like you said, Jamie, they're more like soldiers than they are like nuns. Sure. (laughs) Religious servants? In fact, I would just call them soldiers who don't like demons. (laughs) I wouldn't even call them nuns. The anti-demon squad. They're prejudiced against demon kind. It's not fair, really. I would just call them aggressive people associated with the church. <laughs> I mean, they're they're old school, right? They're Crusades era church. Ava is representing this new breed. Yeah, I'm yeah. also a little uncomfortable how much they're like, ah, oh, she's been with us f- since the Crusades, her family. Oh, this artifact's from the Crusades. It's like, ah... Oh, I, I'm worried you're going to code the Crusades as a good thing. We were fighting demons in the Crusade. No, Ooh, yeah, no, I'm you not. were trying to steal money and territory. Yeah. And then you used Muslims as a scapegoat. I would be no. very uncomfortable if the show goes in that direction. I would not like them to make that real world equivalency. Me no. too, but they're clearly portraying the church as corrupt and like they've lost their way. And Ava is clearly the one that we are supposed to be identifying with as a viewer. So I think they're showing this problematic institution and we're not meant to identify with them. They're not supposed to be in the right. That's my interpretation right now. But uh, we'll see how it unfolds. That's fair. But if Lilith's story is true, that implies that during the Crusades, there was a halo bearer who was fighting demons therefore justifying the actions of the Crusades, which, again, not comfortable if that is actually the narrative that the show is going with. I kind of wish they were like, oh, there was that one soldier actually fighting demons, and then the rest of those clowns invading Constantinople. What's going on over there? Yeah, fuck those guys. But the one actual warrior nun, she was great. Yep. She actually saved the world from demons in a completely different place. Yeah, it's fine for now. I think the way they're showing the church is very unchurchly. However, I I have hopes that the show is going to end favorably when it comes to the morality of it all. Maybe Ava will end up uh, changing their order for the better. Hopefully. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Satire TV. If you like what we do here, please, we'd love it if you'd head on to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review 
let people know about the show and help us, uh, you know, build up that listener base. Yeah. And if you want to keep up with the movies we're watching and the shows we'll be covering and all the memes we post for the shows and the movies, you can follow us at Swords and Satire on Twitter and Instagram or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. And if you have a few coins to toss our way, a few coins for the donation plate, you could head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash swords and satire and become one of our patrons and join our community there. We have a lot of extra content that we post there for our patrons, like our rewriting history episodes and outtakes. And we also have monthly polls there where you could vote on the movies we watch. So maybe you'd like to check it out. Definitely. And if you don't have a few extra bucks to put in the donation bowl, feel free to etch your 10 favorite Swords and Satire episodes into stone tablets and come down from the mountain sharing them with all your friends. That's good advice anytime. Even if you do have the coins, you can do that too. Make proclamations about our wonderful show far and wide to all the people. I love it. Did you actually etch that in stone? They said. They told me. They told me to do it. I had to do it. I was chosen. <laughs> well, guys, until next time, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom.